Jonah chapter 4. So I want to ask you a question. I want to set this up for us. Can you imagine receiving a missionary newsletter where it talks glowingly in the newsletter about individuals that repented, trusted the Lord, church was established. I mean, things are just going great. God's blessing. They're seeing conversions. People coming to the Lord left and right. And I mean, all the missionary did was just show up and preach. I mean, just preach the message. Booyah! People started getting right, getting saved. I mean, who wouldn't want that kind of missionary letter? If you're an evangelist, a pastor, a missionary, man, that would just be, I mean, I wish it was that easy. It's not, in case you don't know, it's not that easy. But man, can you imagine the missionary, you know, goes through and gives specific detail and illustrations about, hey, and it wasn't just your average ordinary Joe that got saved. I mean, the main political leader in that area, maybe even the president of the nation got saved. And I mean, everybody got right. They had such revival that swept through there in that city, that town, that state, that, that, that region of whatever country it was. You just can't even put it into words. And then can you imagine that missionary closing his letter this way? And oh, by the way, I want you to know, I'm mad about it. I'm ticked off about it. I don't like it. I'm hacked. I'm mad. I'm mad at God that these people got right. You say, Christian, if anybody, any missionary, preacher, pastor, whatever felt like that, they need to sue their brain for non-support. What in the world? Well, ladies and gentlemen, that's exactly what we have in Jonah chapter 4, verse 1. You can't make this up. Look at what the Bible says, verse 1 of chapter 4. Verse 10 of chapter 3, we have to read that in order to set a context. And God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way, And God repented of the evil. We talked about that two weeks ago. God repented of the evil that He had said He would do unto them. And He did it not. Wow. We should all pause and say, Hallelujah, praise God. We rejoice. We give God glory for that. And then verse 1. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he was very angry. And he prayed unto the Lord. And said, I pray thee, O Lord, listen to this, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? (laughs) Therefore I fled before unto Tarshish, for I knew that thou art a gracious God, a merciful God, a God who's slow to anger, a God of great kindness, and a God who repents of the evil. In other words, I knew... That if the Ninevites repented, Lord, you would repent and you would relent. And you would withhold your judgment and you would extend mercy. Now, 
Y'all, you can't miss verse 3. Notice what he says. Therefore now, because of all this, because you were merciful and you were gracious and you saved these people, therefore now, O Lord, take, I beseech thee, my life from me. You're like, what? What is he praying? You know what he's praying. Lord, just just go ahead and kill me dead right now. Take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And then the Lord responds, verse 4. Doest thou well to be angry, Jonah? I have a question for you. Would you think about it? Have you ever been disappointed by God? You say, I've been disappointed in life. Well, have you ever been disappointed by God? Now, when we think about that question, it may be disappointed by what God allows to take place in your life, but let me go a step further. Have you ever been disappointed with God when He showed grace to somebody instead of wrath? I'm reminded of John 8 and the adulterous woman caught in the very act of adultery and they brought her to Jesus. Do you remember this? And the men gathered around and they all had rocks and stones in their hands because they were going to stone this woman according to the Mosaic law. And Jesus listens to their arguments and their accusations. And remember, he simply began to write in the sand. He didn't even respond. He wrote in the sand. A couple of messages, a couple of things. We don't even know what exactly it was that he wrote. But it says that he acted as though he didn't even hear them. And he just wrote in the sand. Some have speculated that the first message was to the accusers. Some have said that perhaps he was writing out their sins. I don't know. We don't know what he wrote in the sand. But then someone else speculated the first writing was to them, but the second time he wrote in the sand, it was to the woman. And I don't know what it was. But the Bible says that Jesus said, let he that is without sin, let that person cast the first stone at her. And that they began to walk away. And the only thing you could hear was the thud of the rocks hitting the stone pavement. And there's this woman in Jesus. And instead of extending to her a hand of condemnation, which, by the way, hear me, remember she was in fact guilty of adultery. She was guilty of sin. She had violated the moral law, but God's law. She had. There was no defense for it. She had. But Jesus didn't give this woman what she deserved. Remember what John 3 says, that Jesus came not into the world to condemn the world, 
but that the world through him might be saved. And then it goes on to say that the reason he didn't come initially to condemn the world was that the world was already condemned. The world is already under judgment. Jesus didn't have to come to condemn it. Jesus came to save the world and to extend mercy and grace to those who would respond. And so instead of extending to this woman the hand of condemnation and judgment, he extended the hand of mercy. That's exactly what happened with the Ninevites. God came through the message of Jonah. Jonah arrived on the scene and preached the message 40 days and God's going to overthrow you and God's going to judge you. And they listened and they repented. Don't ever forget, ladies and gentlemen, that the very intent and purpose of why God sent Jonah was that the Ninevites would in fact repent. And so when they did repent, it bothered Jonah They grieved Jonah because instead of God bringing the judgment in 40 days, God gave mercy and grace to these undeserving Ninevites that disappointed Jonah. He was disappointed that God honored his own word and accepted the repentance of these heathens. Here we have an angry, confused, disappointed man in conversation with God. And this is a private struggle between Jonah and God, and the Lord lets you and I eavesdrop on this conversation because, hear me, dear one, he knows that the struggle inside of Jonah is our struggle too. What what will be your attitude when you realize that at times in life, God has called you to a hard place, a hard task, or a hard season. That's in fact where Jonah found himself. God had sovereignly orchestrated these events together. God knew, God knew, and eternity passed what Jonah's response and attitude was going to be. God knew Jonah didn't agree with the circumstances. He didn't agree with God extending mercy. But what are you and I going to do when we find ourselves in the spot where Jonah found himself? A hard season. Lord, I don't understand. A hard task. A hard place. Remember that there will be times when you don't always want what God wants. There are times when you and I don't always see as God sees. There are times when you and I don't always value what God values. And there are times when you and I don't always feel as God feels. So I see three things in the text here. Listen very carefully. First of all, I see a perplexing irritation on the part of Jonah. Man, he was irritated. In fact, it goes a little bit uh, deeper than just being irritated. It says in verse 1, if you'll notice there in your Bible, it says that, that, that it displeased Jonah exceedingly. God granted mercy and grace. It displeased. Literally in the Hebrew, it means that it broke Jonah up. It broke him up. <laughs> we, we say that so-and-so was broken up over it. He was busted up over it. Well, I tell you, he was literally busted up over it. You know what busted him up? 
The fact that God showed mercy. It says he was very angry. He was literally hot with vexation. He was running hot. He was mad. What was it that irritated Jonah? Well, we see in chapter 3, verse 10, that it was the fact that God had mercy and God showed grace and God didn't destroy the Ninevites. And it's almost as if that he, here he is, he preaches, he walks through the city preaching the message, and then he just walks right on out the other side and he goes on top of this hill and sits on this hillside overlooking the city, almost like he's waiting for God to destroy him. Maybe the 40 days had come and passed. And he's sitting up there waiting for brimstone to come raining down from heaven. Maybe in his mind he's thinking about Sodom and Gomorrah. Lord, do it again. Destroy him. Judge him. And God doesn't. (laughs) Oops. And his plan (laughs) didn't measure up or line up with God's plan and God's agenda. That's what was bothering him. Adam Clark said that Jonah had more respect to his high sense of his own honor than he had to the goodness and mercy of God. Notice that the warning from God never came to pass. God didn't overthrow. He didn't destroy. Instead of destroying, He gave grace. It is as though Jonah lost sight of why God had him go to Nineveh to begin with. The intention of God was for them to wake up and repent. That's exactly what they did. Now Jonah is acting as if he was hoping that they wouldn't have listened and that they wouldn't have turned to God so that he could witness the desolation of Nineveh. So here he is, waiting for the hammer to fall, and when it didn't fall, he got incredibly upset at God. One writer said that what pleased God (laughs) displeased Jonah. L.C. Allen said that Jonah finds that the time fuse does not work on the prophetic bomb that he planted in Nineveh. John Calvin offered this possibility. He said that Jonah was grieved because Nineveh's preservation after Jonah's denunciation perhaps made Jonah look like a false prophet. If that's true, and if that was the motivation, he was more concerned about what he looked like and his own glory and name and reputation than that of God's. Some scholars believe that Jonah's motive for their destruction was rooted in nationalistic pride. After all, they were for a long time the perpetual enemies of the Jews. Some say it was his desire for this destruction to be a catalyst, maybe for the restoration of Israel itself, and for Israel to return to the glory days of Jewish dominance. And Jonah knew that as long as the Assyrians were around, Israel was never going to be dominant. 
We don't know exactly, gang, what his motive was or, or why it was that he was so angry with God. But none of these motives that I've referred to are pure at all. They all reveal a self-centeredness in Jonah. And before I get too cavalier and angry at Jonah, I have to stop and look in the mirror and say, oh me. Because <laughs> I see that same self-centeredness in the dude that I look at every morning. Maybe you too can feel that same self-centeredness, that struggle that's inside of all of us. Have you ever wanted somebody to be judged instead of wanting them to be blessed by grace? That's a tough question. While there may have been some reasons for Jonah's displeasure, it is sad to see him place limits on the same grace that saved him. Is there somebody in your life that you believe or that you still harbor some type of animosity towards that deep down when it's just you and the Lord as He peels back your desire and your true colors that you would be happier if God smacked them around than you would be if God blessed them with grace. Is there somebody like that in your life? There is for me. And I know I'm not the only one that feels that way. There are people who we are like, you know what? They hurt me or so-and-so. They slandered. They, they abused. They, they lied. They slighted. They disappointed. How is it, Lord, that they, they, they just get to go scot-free? You ever seen anybody like that? If we're not careful, we'll begin to play God and to assume the role that Jonah was playing right here, where we begin to decide who gets mercy and who doesn't. Who's worthy of forgiveness and grace and who isn't? Here's the struggle of Jonah. He encountered people whom he felt it hard to want God's kindness for. Lord, I don't want you to be kind to them. I want you to be rough with them. I don't want you to give them mercy. I want you to make things hard on them. What's interesting is that the same grace that Jonah craved in chapter 2 is the same grace that irritated him in chapter 4. What was the difference? In chapter 2, gang, it was grace that he needed for himself. But in chapter 4, it was grace 
that he watched God give to other people. The pressing issue is whether or not I have the heart of God. You see, it was God's grace that was the biggest distress on the heart and mind of Jonah. And here's the deal, and we've said it before, that as long as Jonah was the one being the recipient of the mercy and the grace and the patience of God, he was okay with that. But as long as God showed the same grace to Jonah's enemies, he didn't like that. You see, here's here's where the battle comes in. When we believe somehow, some way, We deserve that grace and mercy, but somebody else doesn't. You see, we're all for grace and mercy until it's somebody else, until it's one of our enemies that needs it. That's tough. It's hard. It's the same battle that Corey Ten Boom experienced after World War II when she was speaking in Germany and she had given her testimony about her sister Betsy, about her dad, about hiding the Jews, about her experiences at the concentration camps. She never saw her family members again. And as soon as the service was over, she looked up and she was standing at the front. She looked up and there was a man who was making his way down the center aisle. He was dressed in church clothes, but when she looked at him, she didn't see the suit and the tie. She saw a black leather overcoat and a German military cap with the skull and crossbones, SS. The emblem and the insignia of the Gestapo. And she immediately recognized his face. It was one of the guards at Ravensbrook, the concentration camp where her sister died. She said it was one of the more cruel guards. And there he was. She hadn't seen him since her time behind those razor wire fences. And he's walking towards her. She said all of a sudden, she could feel the blood, her blood chill. Her jaw clenched. Her hands tightened. Said, my mind began to race. Said the man made his way through the crowd, walked up to her, and extended his hand and called her Froilein. Froilein, 
I listened to your message tonight about God's forgiveness. He said, I have experienced the forgiveness of God and now I ask you for your forgiveness as well. And he kept his hand extended. Corey Ten Boom said that even though it was mere seconds, it seemed like an eternity. And she said, then this thought hit her. How, how in the world can I stand here and refuse to extend grace and forgiveness to this man when I have been the recipient so many times of God's love, mercy, and grace. And she said, I took my hand out of my pocket and I extended it and shook the man's hand and said, I forgive you. Every single one of us in this room tonight, we have that person. I don't know who it is for you. It may be several people that come to mind. You find it hard to forgive. You find it difficult to pray that God would give them grace. Paul Tripp said that God makes His invisible grace visible. By sending people of grace to share and show grace to people who need grace. Father, this is a daily battle for me. I wish it were not so. And I'm sorry that I've got too much flesh that I contend with. I'm far too concerned about my image and my name and my reputation and me getting even somehow in some subtle way with people that have hurt me in the past. Lord, help me. Help my brothers and sisters tonight. Maybe there's something tangible that we can do that you are going to lead us to do to help us in this journey to become more Christ-like or maybe to offer a gesture of kindness and love toward that one who has been less than kind and loving to us. We remember the words, Jesus, that you told us, dear Savior, when we've been told eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth, and yet you say to bless those who persecute you. Love your enemies. Do good to those who curse you and who spitefully use you. Give us the power to do that because we don't have it in ourselves. And we will thank you in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.